Family, are you doing all right today? You doing well? How about you sit in, in the risers? You guys doing well? They don't say a whole lot, but they're there. I promise you, they're there. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We are very uh, glad that you're with us today. Um, and those joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us and our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show them some love, family. Clap for them. Come on, really clap for them. Let them know that you love them. Hey, they get to hear your response, so I just want you to know that. We're not just clapping for, you know, there are people there. So, um, hey, I, I wanted today, uh, before I get into uh, the, the word that we're going to talk about today in closing out this series of bad ideas, I want to kind of land the plane on this conversation in a way that will practically help you in conversations with, um, and does anyone have people in their life that are far from God? Um. That's, a, that's like a good thing. You don't have to be ashamed of that. People are like, oh, I think I do. No, it's okay. Um, and then it may even be children. It could be parents. Um, it could be brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles. You could have people in your world that are just far from God. I want to help equip you today in having conversations regarding these bad ideas. Before that, I want to make sure that um, many of you have made that confession. You have said in your heart, and you've prayed this out loud, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave. Um, and the Bible says, upon your declaration of faith and your belief, you are saved. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves, lest we boast about it. It is a gift from God. So we know that we are made right with God after that confession of faith and that belief in our heart. The Bible instructs the believer that after that, there is an outward public demonstration of what has just tra transpired inwardly. So today, 2.30, after our one o'clock service, we have baptisms. We have baptisms every month. And I have to tell you, if you have not been to one of these environments, I would love to encourage you, whether you're getting baptized or not, to join us in one of these environments I have to tell you, there are so many conversations that are moving and so many different things that God's doing in the life of our church. There is something so profound about the power of the individual testimonies. A testimony is to testify of the goodness of God. They're testifying about the gospel of Jesus Christ before they get baptized. They don't say it themselves. They write it down and someone reads it. But it is a powerful environment. I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized. It's not too late. You can still sign up. They will make room for you. There are many getting baptized today. And if you would love to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ and come out, we would love to have you. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus, help me land this plane of this conversation. I, I want to I I help you in a practical way because I know that sometimes we talk about societal issues and then it's difficult sometimes to bleed down societal issues into the very personal issues that you carry. Um, I believe that you are competent and able enough through how we communicate things on the platform to do so. But today I want to be very intentional in trying to make things very practical for you. Anything that is not a God idea always ends poorly. Everything. Um, do you ever notice about yourself, and maybe this is me, if I'm the weird one in the room, I'm okay with it. It's been like that for a long time in my life. So um, I, I remember anytime someone would tell me not to do something, I wanted to do it. Anyone else? And then I'm like, well, what is the point of having a rule if they weren't meant to be broken? Like, that's how kind of like, that was my, 
It's not, don't, don't live by that, okay? My pastor said, no, don't say that. Um, but this, this is what I know, is that your flesh always wants to lead you one way, and God's word wants to lead you another way. And I, I, I've realized this about the God that we serve, is that he loves you so much that he gave, he bankrupt heaven for your salvation. And he paid a price that you would, quite frankly, never be able to pay. And yet many of us still struggle to walk in step with God's word. And that could be for a multitude of reasons. It could be because society has a greater weight in our thinking than the authority of God's word. Maybe it's because we've convinced ourselves that we're so busy that we don't have enough time to get on our knees and pray or enough time to get into God's word and to read it. Maybe we've convinced ourselves, like I used to, that I'm not smart enough to really comprehend God's word, so um, I'll just uh, skip it. You know, Wherever you fall on this, I want you to know that I believe there's a God in heaven that loves you so much that even when you deliberately choose, and maybe it's not deliberate, maybe it's just out of sheer ignorance because you don't know what God's word says. King David would write in Psalm 119, 11, he says, For I have hidden your word in my heart so that I do not sin against you. Well, you can't hide God's word in your heart if you don't know it. And sometimes it is ignorance. People just do things in, in defiance to God's ways because they don't know any better. But I believe with all my heart that we serve a God that even when we defiantly walk in opposition to him, he's looking down at his children saying there's a better way. There's a higher way. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to be married. There's a better way to find joy. There's a better and greater and a higher identity to carry. And I believe that's the way that our Father in heaven draws us and leads us and guides us. So every time we talk about topics in society, that may be considered bad ideas. The context in which we determine them to be bad ideas or even man ideas are if they are in contrary to the word of God. Now, I think this is where you ultimately need to land is you need to discern in your heart of hearts, who do you trust and whom have you given your life to? And who do you believe loves you more than you even love yourself? And if, it, if it's God, and this is, this is the powerful thing about, about the Lord. And I'm, in Romans 12, 2, the scriptures teach us to no longer conform to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, the adversary that we have in our life attacks our thoughts. Have you ever had that happen? I don't care how mature you are, the enemy attacks your thoughts. You mess up one time, the enemy says, see, I always told you you were, you were a failure. I always told you you would screw up. I always told you you'd never be perfect. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church, he instructs them that you need to be transformed. How? Through you striving to be a better person. Let me just help you. Before you even begin to head down that path, that will only lead to frustration and a sense of, of greater failure in your life. And it is, it is the Christian that's going to white knuckle, I'm going to be holy before God. They're the Christians where you look at and you're like, I don't want to be like them. You know what I mean? And they're like, you need to worship God. He is your joy and your peace and your happiness. And you're like, I don't want that. Whatever you have, I don't want that. And this is the problem because in church, we talk about living a life that's honoring to God. And we actually think that if we strive in our own strength, we can bring it to pass. Do you know, Paul writes to the, to the, to the Jews and he says, um, 
do you know the law doesn't save you? He says, you distinguish yourselves from the Gentiles, the non-Jews, because you think you have circumcision and you have the law. He says, but the law is only given to man so that man recognizes that in and of themselves, they cannot save themselves. And so the standards of God's law was given to us so that you and I would recognize that we are not walking in righteousness before God. It was given so that we in our humanity would recognize God is there and us in our humanity, we're going this way. And we're just going about life, we're having a good time and the law was given to say, hey, there's a higher way. There's a better way to live. And so when Paul writes, he says to be transformed, don't live to the patterns of the world because much of what we're experiencing today is, is the, the outcome of a bad idea that has given birth. Meaning we have become obsessed with this idea of as a church and a nation of talking about abortion. Now, I want you to know every time we say that word, there's no condemnation to those who have, have had an abortion in the past. We believe we've, we, we serve a God who can bring healing and restoration and forgiveness to people who have. The Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We talk about that because we believe that the Bible clearly teaches through Jeremiah and other texts that life is sacred. It's valuable to God. But isn't it fascinating? We have become consumed with an issue that is the byproduct of disobedience. Now, let me say this to you, and I want you to be very honest with yourself, not me. Don't say anything to me. Now, when I say this, I want you to gauge this, okay? I just want your response to what I say. Are you ready? I want, and don't be angry at me, because I know some of you are locked and loaded. You're ready to send me an email. Don't send me an email. This is it. Sex before marriage and outside of marriage between a man born a man and a woman born a woman is sin before God. Now, how much, time out, has society influenced that in your mind? Because this is typical amongst Christians who say, oh, yeah, I mean, I know what the Bible says, but come on, that's just not realistic. So this is what society, and this is, this, is, uh, this is exactly my point. That let that be the indicator of the voices and the influences in your mind. That you trust society's direction in, in an aspect that is holy and sacred rather than the one who's formed it. The subtleties of sin. When neglected and undealt with, it produces a stronghold. Something that at, at first glance, do you know that if you were at the very beginning saw something of two paths and one path, it says this is the path that you should walk in and it's God's path. And then this is societal path, which by the way, is always more appealing and pleasing to you. When Eve saw the fruit, it says that it was pleasing to the eye. It always seems better. It promises everything, but delivers nothing in the long run. And so God gives another way, a higher way. As Doc John would put it, it always is a matter of who says. And um, when I talk to myself in these areas, I always say, well, Jesse, who says? Who says that? Is it society? Is it you? Is it your ideas? Is that something rooted in your spirit because you've been living that way for that long? 
What does God say? The moment you view sin as something casual, it's a dangerous place. Some of us, we've lived in a family of generations after generation after generation that we've neglected the things of God. And it's as if we just want to snap our fingers and say, God, fix it. God says, I've given you the way to walk in it, but you've deliberately walked the other way. It's like God from heaven looking down and watching us sow bad seed. And then when it reaps a harvest, we're so angry. And he's like, that's what you're planning. (laughs) You're planning that. Paul writes and he tells the church in 2 Corinthians, he says, listen, there is a way for us to fight and it's not in our flesh. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, I need to tell some of you this, whether you're in high school, college, whether you are in a career person, retired, doesn't matter where you are in your journey of life, this principle, this tactic to fight an enemy is your primary, really, weapon. It is taking the word of God and holding it up against counterfeit lies from an adversary. This is how the enemy works. Every time society throws something at you, it begins to question the already established nature or authority of God. And you don't, you don't need, we're living in such a day where we have a lot of examples to point to. We can point to the institution of marriage. We could speak to the institution of issues of sexuality. We could talk about the sanctity of life. We could talk about numerous things. And society has been bombarding a generation as to how they should think about a specific topic, and then anything in opposition to that is not tolerant. It's not tolerant. I remember um, having to to look up so many definitions of words. And I remember when I went to seminary, the professor, um, after the first class, I think it was because I was so... um, do some of you have the inability to hide how you're feeling on your face? And I remember the professor's going, and I just was kind of like, you know, the whole time. And really, the reason being is he was using all these big theological words. I had no idea what he was talking about. And the moment I thought he, I did, he'd use another word, and I'd go, ah, oh, you know. And so I think my face just said to him, like, help me, please, you know. And at the end of the course, he, he gave me a theological dictionary. I said, this isn't going to help. And he says, I think it will. He says, every time you go through the readings and you don't understand a word, go to the dictionary and begin to to understand the meaning behind the word. I remember when I first learned the word tolerance, my understanding was that if you came to me with an idea and I had an idea and our ideas were in conflict with one another, despite the differences that we shared in our opinion or belief, that we would tolerate one another, we would still live in a sense of harmony, respect, and dignity with one another, even though we disagreed. Society has changed that definition. We're changing a lot of definitions in society now. Tolerance is one of them. And society essentially says this, that if if you don't, agree with what I agree with or my position fully and we'll use words in society like this except 
And often ideas are perceived as a personal identity. So to even heighten the sense of hostility in a conversation. So no longer is, is it a belief system. The belief system has become part of an identity system in society. So therefore to violate a source of the belief system would be in sense to violate the identity of the person. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So if you don't agree with me, there's a sense of no longer tolerance. You are intolerant, judgmental, and you're a bigot. And you should be censored and, and, and silenced. Now, I just want you to know, um, Scripture talks about those who believe in Christ um, will experience persecution. Now, uh, for the most part, in the Western culture, you know, our persecution comes from not having a parking spot in the parking lot. And like, I'm being serious, right? And, and it is getting different now, but, but we're getting to a place where, where people don't like what the authority of God teaches. They just don't like it. And so what do we, as sons and daughters of the king, like how do we walk with a sense of truth and a sense of grace in a society that's attempting to silence the belief that we carry and we walk with? Because I get it. Some of you, we've had conversations and that conversation is not like once a year with the aunt and uncle. It's every day because it's your son and your daughter. And some of you, it's not with your siblings. It's with your parents or your grandparents. And so I understand the tension that exists in these topics. And one of the things that I've come to just realize is for all of us who are followers of Christ, we need to know that it's, it's not a matter of argument or it's not a matter of, well, I'm right and you're wrong. It's a matter of authority and what you have surrendered yourself to. And so just as a reminder for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are in Christ and stand in his righteousness because we surrendered ourselves to him and to his authority. And so that's why I always would, would smile when people say, well, what is your opinion? I say, well, truth be told, I've surrendered that. I surrendered my opinion when I said yes to Jesus because he has an opinion on all things and he has an authority in all things. And so what he says, I will follow. Now I have to tell you that the, the power in walking in his ways actually brings to pass a harvest. That's why Galatians 6, 9, it says, don't grow weary in doing good for at the proper time. And just the proper time, just so you're not disappointed, is not your time. Okay, I know a lot of people are like, well, I've been praying, but pray that you'll learn what God's trying to refine in you. And I believe when the refinement is done, the, it'll come to pass. And there, there's sometimes something that God's trying, and you're like, hey, God, this is a time. God's like, no, that's your time. It's not the proper time. And it, I, I really believe in my life, it's, it's, it's our Father who loves us discerning, hey, when is it appropriate to bless you with this? When is it appropriate to withhold? And when is it appropriate to give? It says, at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Keep walking in ways that are pleasing and honoring to God. And for some of us here, if you're struggling in areas, can I tell you, we don't live under the law. Meaning, when we come to church, this is how some people view it, they see a, a list of rules, Say, ah, oh, I gotta, I have to uphold all these rules. Um, the Jews thought that. 
Um, and they were never successful at it. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see this cycle that continues. It's a theological cycle. It's really this, this um, I'm in uh, poor standing with God. I, I repent and come back to God. God forgives me and receives me. Things start to go good. I become confident in myself. And then what do I do? I sin. And the cycle starts all over again. And so when you surrender yourself to Jesus, what you're saying is, is that I can't, but you can. I can't save myself, but I know that you can save me. I can't live a life of holiness, but I know through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the scriptures teach we're no longer under the law, but now we have the power of the Holy Spirit abiding within us. The Bible teaches that that same power that raised Christ from the grave now abides and dwells within the believer. So you might be like, Okay, I'm missing, you're, you seem excited. Why are you excited? Why should I be excited? Because the power of God is what enables you to walk in holiness with God. Um, I remember growing up in, um, or I should say growing up, not growing up, growing in my maturity in Christ in, in Virginia Beach and being challenged in so many areas of my life. Um, this is when I knew that the Holy Spirit was working in me is when I started to just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice. And I have to tell you, it's not like this audible voice where it's like over the, the intercom, like, Jesse, don't do that. It's not like that, but it's, it's literally like I'm, I'm in a line and it's like, you know, tell that person Jesus loves them or you're like, well, that's weird, you know, um, but okay. And I find as, as the more I'm obedient to the voice of God, the shorter the gap comes between my sin and my repentance. To sometimes there's this point, and I believe the only way that this is, it's not accomplished through our striving, because I've tried that, and it's horrible. It makes you feel worse, and then it gets you to the place of saying things like, I've tried religion. Well, Christ didn't come to bring you that. The Bible says he's come to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to deal with the oppressive enslavement of sin for humanity, not bring you rules and regulations. And that's why Paul teaches in Romans. He says, listen, the law wasn't given to save you. It was given so that you would identify that you are walking in opposition to the way of God. And so what did you do? How many of you, it's, um, how many of you, when you're going about what you think is right, so maybe you're working, you're doing whatever, and then someone else comes along, and you're like, hey, that's wrong. And how many of you, like, serious, in your response, go, oh, thank you for telling me that. And does anyone else do that in, the, in their life? You know, it, it, put it this way, in your area of expertise. I remember one time my, 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 my close friend was studying um, organic chemistry, and I didn't understand anything he was doing, you know. And um, he was always sweating about it. And his older brother was, um, I don't know if I've ever met anyone as smart as him, but his older brother was literally um, walking by him. Number two's wrong, you know, and then keeps walking. And my friend was very, very smart. And, um, and I remember watching this, you know, and, and watching my, my friend look at his older brother and say, what, the, what are you talking about? I know, you know, and he's struggling and he's trying and he's looking at it and he goes, uh, yeah, crap, you know, like, and I'm like, I'm, I don't even know. There's so many letters and numbers. I don't know what the heck's going on. You know what I mean? And I said, what, what was he, was he right? 
And it was so hard for my friend to look at me and say yes. He's like, maybe, you know, kind of rewriting it. And I think what happens is, is over the course of our life, we become so confident in ourselves that to acknowledge the fact that we don't know is hard in our humanity. That, that's why when people come into church, they'll say things like this. Well, that was a good talk. That was good. I'm glad that you find hope in this, you know, and, and because what they're saying is, is that something is up because you find purpose, identity, hope, and salvation in something that's in conflict with what I have as my belief system. And so what do I do? Well, really what the Bible teaches is that it uproots strongholds and fortresses that hold itself in opposition to the ways of God. And so what does that mean for us? It means that every time truth is proclaimed, it deals with lies. Truth hates sin. Grace loves sinners. <laughs> it's like in our culture today, you can always tell the crowd you're speaking to because it's like, give them the truth, pastor. And then the other crowd's like, give them grace. Do you know giving one without the other is non-biblical? To be all truth and no grace, it's not scriptural. To be all grace and no truth, it's not scriptural. In John chapter 14 and even later in verse 17 of the gospel of John, it says that Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. And so you wanna reflect Christ well, walk in grace and truth. And I'll be the first to say it's hard because how do you understand it in your mind? It's like this paradox. I, re I remember thinking, how can these two seemingly contradictory things dwell with one another? And then the further you read into it, you realize that there is a well-founded truth in it that Christ comes. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes through the Father except through me. Well, when truth is declared, it, fight against, it fights against our flesh because we have an established belief and often it's those established beliefs that keep us from walking with God. Society, we're, we're living in a generation today of young people who have no identity and society is giving them identity in, in their desires, in their feelings and whatever they choose, you can identify that way. But there's a kingdom culture and the kingdom culture says that the creation, the sons and daughters of God, we find our identity, our purpose, our belonging, and our meaning through our Father and our Creator. And that's where we walk and that's how we live, through the authority of God. And listen, we have a generation, I'm telling you, they're not interested in hearing how much you know about Scripture. They're not interested in hearing how to walk. They want to watch someone walk. Growing up, I... I I could care less about how much a coach talked about how good they were. I wanted to see them do it. It's the same with Christianity. I have no time to watch it. When I was growing up, I was, I was trying to figure out what path to give my life to. And I thank God that he directed my eyes to people who not only talked to talk, but they walked it out. They walked it out. And some of you, you need someone in your world that's walking it out. Then when I, meet, when I say that, I mean this, that they trust God more than they trust themselves. 
that they do their best to surrender every aspect of their life to Jesus. That every time they're wrong, they repent and they ask God to get them on the right path. They're not interested in, in, in winning arguments in society. They're interested by bringing holiness to God, pleasing God and walking in holiness. And how do you do that? My family, you, you cannot please God apart from his family, meaning you need to be in fellowship with other believers. You need to be strengthened by it. You need to be encouraged by it. Some of you look at crews and, and, and serving and all those things as optional additions on the vehicle that you're selecting to do life with. No, no, that's not, that's not what they are in Scripture. It's that they are essential needs of the believer to thrive in this life that God's called you to. Listen, we, we are saved by the grace of God, but we're called to. He's called you to something. And I think this is where many believers, they fall short. They, they forget the fact that they've been called. They've been called by God who loves them to reach people who are lost and broken and hurting. And listen, the enemy wants you to become obsessed by your own brokenness, to fixate on all your problems. And you're desperately waiting for yourself to be fixed before God can use you. But God can use you even in your brokenness. He can use you in your shortcomings. He can use you in your imperfections. Trust me, I know. He can. And the less you fixate on the brokenness and the problems and the more you fix your eyes on Jesus, the Bible says to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. And when you do that, you're gonna be walking out in a way empowered by the Holy Spirit and you're gonna get to a place in your life and you're gonna shock yourself because you're gonna realize that you arrived at a place that yourself could never take, take you to. <laughs> How did I get here? And people say, how, how, how did you do that? And the honest response is, I, I don't know. I just trust in, I'm just trusting in Jesus to keep a sense of humility in following God, to not be afraid to say sorry and to ask for forgiveness, to humbly seek after the things of God and stop telling God, listen, every believer wants to have an exception with God. Well, God, you understand. He does. That's why he's given you this. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but I know it says this, but what about that? You need to come to the place and make a stand like Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, I'm, there's no exceptions. And do you know why he said that? Not to be strict and defiant, not to be an authoritative ruler in the house. He did that because he understood that no one loves him like his God. And he wants the same for a generation to come. So let me ask you, how are you walking before God? And maybe there's just one question you need to ask yourself. Where is the reverence and the fear? The Bible talks so much about the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. And I realize in my place right now where I stand before you today, I ask myself this all the time. Am I making this decision in reverence to God or out of fear of men? Meaning, am I trying to appeal to other people? Am I trying to get people to like me? Am I trying to make other people happy? Am I trying to tell people what they want to hear or Am I saying what I believe the Holy Spirit is leading me to say? Am I being truthful to God's word? Am I trusting in him? 
I know many of you have difficult conversations week in and week out. I want to help you lean on the Holy Spirit. Lean on the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, He's ever present in our time of need. And every single thought that presents itself in opposition to God's Word, take it captive. Hold it to the obedience of Christ, saying, this is not who I am. That's not what Scripture declares me to be. I'm an overcomer. I'm victorious. I'm a child of heaven. And you pray that way in authority over it. Why? Because Scripture says you have authority over it in the name of Jesus. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes, let me pray for you. Every time we gather, we give people an opportunity to get right with God. And when I say get right with God, I don't mean a simple handshake or a a realignment of misunderstandings. I don't say it with an expectation of people to give or to join or to, I don't. The Bible teaches very clearly that there is one way to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. And Jesus declares that in John. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what does that mean? The Bible teaches in Romans 3 and Romans 6 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that none are righteous, not even one. Sin is a cancer. It destroys everything. The Bible teaches that the only way to deal with this sin in your life would be through the shedding of blood, meaning you would have to die to deal to pay for the punishment of your own sin. No exceptions. But God devised a plan, and that plan is articulated in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but rather to save it through him. And so maybe you're here today and you recognize that you can't save yourself, that you are not perfect, that sin exists in your life. I'm here to tell you today there's a better way to live. There's someone you can trust on. There's someone you can walk with through every trial and tribulation. There's someone who you will stand before at the end of this life. And with all my heart, I sincerely tell you today that I want you to be in right standing with God when you see him on that day. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you would be saved. Now, you might think that that's cheap (laughs) because it's free, but my friend, it's not free. It costs the life of Jesus. And he paid for your salvation through the shedding of his blood on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says and teaches that Jesus defeated sin and death and was raised to life on the third day. And because of that, he's provided a way for you to stand in his victory. And how do we stand in his victory and his righteousness? Through the confession of our mouth and the belief in our heart. Ephesians 2.8 teaches that it is by grace, through faith that we are saved. And so right now in this moment, True North family, let's lead people in this prayer. If you're saying it for the first time, I want you to know it may seem simple, but it's significant. I believe with all my heart there's no greater prayer that you can pray on this side of eternity than the prayer of salvation, to surrender your life to Jesus, saying you are in charge, to repent of your ways, and to begin to pursue him, and now be called a child of heaven. So come on, True North, let's lead people. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. 
Forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody that said that prayer. Hey, listen, before you stand to your feet, if you said yes to Jesus, as you exit today in the lobby, you're gonna see people waving these Bibles. Make sure you go up to them and say that you made a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to help you on your journey. Come on, family, stand to your feet. Let me pray for you before you go today. Will you stretch your hands to heaven as an act of surrender? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it guides us, it directs us, it leads us in, with all clarity. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would strengthen marriages, strengthen relationships within family. Father, we rebuke anxiety and fear in the name of Jesus. Your word declares you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Father, we pray for bodies, physical bodies today that are sick and hurting, Father. We declare the name of Jesus over that and believe that by his stripes we are made whole. And so we declare healing in the, night, in the name of Jesus. And Father, as we leave today, may we walk in the strength and the authority, not of ourselves, but of Jesus. God, use us this week. Help us, Father, to see the importance of reaching people who you've given us influence over. Help us to extend an invitation. Father, I know that many that are invited will say yes if they're only invited, but let it be said of this house that we are not ashamed to invite people to meet Jesus. We're not ashamed to extend a hand of invitation to people. We're not afraid to look silly in the world's eyes to extend an invitation so that people, and regardless of how many times we may be denied, we'll continue and persistently ask people, do you know Jesus? Let that be said of us and of this house. Father, go with us as we go today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And a faith-filled church said, amen. Amen. God bless.